0: Amen. Welcome. Well, I can imagine if you've been watching online, you've, uh, you've seen these people behind our musicians, behind our singers. And you think, wow, how do they hold those positions so firmly and so still for so long? Actually, these are cutouts. You know, this is not a real person here. You know, and, and uh, they have symbolized the things that we've been featuring in this series called Winning. And today we're talking about having power over our enemies. And as I prepared to um, to teach about this issue, having power over enemies, based, by the way, on Romans chapter 12, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at those last verses there, verses 17 through 21. You know, as, as I thought about that, I thought, really? Who wants that? You know, who wants power over their enemies? You know, kids want power, obviously, special powers to raise Chris Toomey up and then slam him to the ground with a force field, you know, or their karate chops. Bullies want power. Immature men like to exercise power. You know, they want to intimidate sometimes. They want to destroy. You know, they want to uh, uh, banish their enemies perhaps. You know, who wants that? If you have to resort to power, haven't you already lost? That's not the kind of power I'm talking about. You know, I don't forget, you know, the lesson that we learned about happiness, this guy, this guy over here doing this, you know, where Jesus said, happy or blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know, we want to be peacemakers. We don't want to be destroyers. But there's a, another kind of power over enemies that I want to talk to you about based on this concept. And, and I think it's best epitomized in the true story and the life story of a lady named uh, Cory Ten Boone. That's a Danish name. Uh, Some of you will remember her. Uh, She is now with the Lord. But she was a teenager in World War II, living in Holland, living in Amsterdam. A Christian family. And her father, out of Christian conviction, began to protect Jewish people who were subject to Hitler's atrocities. And they did that for quite a while. And, And she wrote a book about it called The Hiding Place. Until they were uh, discovered as having, hiding, having hidden and protected Jewish people along with other Christians who were doing the same. And they were arrested and sent to co- concentration camps. And, and she lost her entire family that way. Her father already was quite old, could not survive such conditions. And she and her daughter, she and her sister Betsy, were also assigned to various concentration camps. And, and just before they're released, her, her beloved sister Betsy also died in concentration camps. And the kind of power that I'm talking about today, the kind of Christian power over your enemies is not power to dominate, it's power to not let others dominate you. And there are two stories that come out of her life that that I think epitomize what God wants you to know about how to have power, proper Christian power. And one was when she realized that although they were behind the barbed wire, although they were being tormented tormented by their their captors, uh, she actually grew to have empathy and, and uh, pity even for her imprisoners, you know, for her um, guards, because they were under worse oppression than the people who were being guarded. She said, Actually, we were free and they were enslaved. That's the kind of power I want you to have. That's the kind of power that God wants you to know. And then later, after the war was over, and she began to speak as as a Christian that God gave a voice about the power of forgiveness and and the power to endure atrocity, the power to endure incredible loss in life. when she began to speak that like that at one time at one of her conferences, one of her captors you know uh, actually uh, an officer in the in the German army that was responsible for uh, the imposition of tremendous injustice upon uh the captives, captives. Uh, he came up to uh, apologize to her and to seek her forgiveness. And all that anger came right to her throat again and right to her heart. And and she just prayed at that moment and God again restored to her power so that she could grant forgiveness. And she realized that she had greater power in her faith than he had power that had been granted to him uh, from a weapon or from a position of authority. That's the kind of power that we want to talk about. And uh, this kind of power is important for you to possess. Power to not, you know, be overcome by the upset. And there's a lot of upset. There's a, there's a lot of attempts on the part of Satan and, and those who sin, uh, even Christians, uh, to cause upset in your life. How do you rise above that kind of struggle? Uh, how do you refuse to be a prisoner, you know, whether uh, real or imagined? That's the kind of power that God wants you to know. And, and how to have power to maintain relationships. Relationships are tough to manage. You know, whether they're marital, whether they're relationships between parents and children or children and parents or colleagues or friends. How do you have power to uh, continue to maintain relationships? Because we know that our relationships are, are essential to life. That burdens shared are burdens halved and, and joys shared are joys multiplied. How do you find that kind of wisdom, that kind of power in life? And then I also think that the most important thing that a person can be is, is not to experience momentary pleasure, but to be significant in life, which provides a, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of pleasure that's even deeper than passing pleasures. You know, how do you become significant? Think about the disciples who followed Jesus. I doubt that any of them, if they had it to do over again, would ever have rejected his call to follow him. And, and yet he said, follow me. And, and not knowing, they would be following him into martyrdom. They'd be following him into abuse, into rejection, into difficulty. But they would also be following him into significance. And that's what God wants for all of us. To be significant, to be satisfied with our life. That our life was worth living and we would live it over again. You know, how do you find that kind of power? And finally, power to live a life that, that pleases God. And makes a difference not only in this life but also in eternal life. A powerful witness that attracts other people so that they can come out of their disbelief and honor the Lord that you have come to love and and appreciate. So that's the kind of power that I'm talking about. And we're going to be talking about it on the basis of Paul's advice to the Christians gathered at Rome in Romans chapter 12 beginning at verse 17. So let's go to the scripture and see what Paul has to say. You know, not the kind of advice that you would find in a book about how to exercise intimidation, power, how to vanquish or neutralize your enemy. But this is God's truth and it is real and it is powerful. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, you know, because you're only part of the equation in a relationship, in as much as it is possible, as far as it depends upon you... Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will take care of it. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, instead of taking your own revenge, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head you will bring a degree of discomfort into his life and out of discomfort comes the possibility for change. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Therein lies the power. Now in all of these principles, we have been saying that these principles, whether you are a believer or not a believer, they work. There's power in just the principles that are taught here. Now there's an Added advantage of faith. There's a God factor that you want to employ in your life as a Christian or a believing person. But even apart from that, you will find that these principles have been examined and have been discovered by others. In fact, those who practice yoga, those who practice meditation, those who practice the martial arts. Whether it's Tai Chi or whether it's Taekwondo or karate. You'll find that they also teach these principles in one form or another. In fact, they boiled them down. Into three principles, and there's truth in this because God has established our culture, God has established the way that people work. And just understanding these principles or just observing uh, life, you can come to understand these principles even apart from faith. So, even if you're not a believer, these things will work for you. Here's how they would be described in one of the martial arts first of all, you cannot control your opponent unless you first control yourself. Powerful principle. You cannot control your opponent unless you first have control of yourself. The implications of that are incredible. Secondly, you cannot control yourself unless you first understand yourself. You understand, you know, what motivates you. You understand what intimidates you. You understand your insecurities, your strengths, your weaknesses, your special gifts. You cannot control yourself unless you first know yourself. And then the final principle that is often taught in martial arts is this. In every action in life, there is an equal and opposite reaction, which was also shown us in the Scripture. You know, if you show kindness to your enemy, it will upset your enemy. Instead of, instead of calming your enemy, it will upset your enemy because he's living in a way different than you. And he will know instinctively what is right and what is wrong. There is an opposite and equal Reaction. Now, as I mentioned, there's truth in that and people teach that even without belief. But when you add the God factor, you know, when you add the issue of faith, then something else happens. Then you have God pouring himself into this situation. You have not only your influence, not only your behavior that creates a response, you also have God's power at work in your heart and in the heart of others. And that's an amazing addition Now when you add the matter of being a Christian, when you add the matter of believing in Jesus Christ, then you have God's spirit living in your heart. You have internal fortitude, internal strength. And then you also have um, a proper motivation for doing this that you will not find necessarily in the condition or even the immediate response to your behavior. You know, you will not behave in such a way to evoke some response. You will behave in such a way because of the cross of Jesus Christ and because of what he has done for me. And when I look to him, I find the motivation that I need. So the God factor is huge and it adds so much more to these principles. Nevertheless, let's, let's look at these principles one at a time. The first one is this. Never allow another person's negative behavior to determine your response. Verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anybody. Never give as good as you get. You see, this power is not based on what is just. It's not based on what is fair. It's not based on what is right. You know, as the world would would judge what is just, what is fair, what is right. It's based on a better way to fight evil. You know, uh, my grandpa used to say, uh, Steve... Uh, And he, he didn't say it only to me, he said it to all his grandkids. It was just one of those things he liked to say. He would say, never fight with a skunk. You are not equipped in the way that he's equipped to fight at his level. You know so, avoid by all possible means you know his behavior in other words don 't get down and fight dirty just because uh, you 're suffering from somebody else 's abuse don 't go there you 're not equipped to fight at that level and as I think about this whole section i can 't help but think about David in fact, in my notes, I have references to David because David in the Old Testament suffered this, you know he was uh, Uh, The subject of the evil of King Saul. Although David had done nothing to deserve King Saul abuse. Remember David was a shepherd boy who was chosen by Samuel. Not because David lobbied for the position. But he was chosen by Samuel who was sent by God to choose a new king for Saul. David didn't say we need a new king and I will lead you. No. God sent the prophet down to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse, and he chose David to be the new king. David wasn't even aware that we had a problem with a real king. And, and so David went back to tending sheep for a while until it was known that he played his instrument uh, beautifully. And, and Saul was troubled by uh, his inner demons and uh, looked for a musician of great quality. And David, who wrote the Psalms and was a great singer and an instrumentalist, was brought into his court to soothe Saul with his music. So David came to the presence of Saul to soothe him, and then David also uh, went out to visit his brothers during the battle against the Philistines, Saul Goliath, and you know the story of David and Goliath, and he defeated Goliath, and, and the people began to praise David and, and his courage, and, the, and they rallied to him so that he became a general in Saul's army. again, not to supplant Saul, not to ever take the place of Saul. He was doing nothing but supporting his king and admiring Saul as his leader. And fighting Saul's battles for him. But the people began to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul, aware that God had removed his favor from him, realized that that favor had passed to David. And he became extremely jealous of David. And out of his jealousy and out of his anger against David, although David had done nothing to deserve it, began to plot all manner of evil against him. Actually began to hunt him down. David was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan revealed the plot of his own father to kill David. And so David became an outlaw. And Saul actually sent his army in search of David. And on three different occasions, David had the opportunity to take Saul's life. Once when David was hiding from Saul in a cave because of the heat of the day, Saul uh, sought relief from the heat and he went into the cave to rest. And... uh, it was the very cave in which David was hiding. And and David's companions who were with him further back in the cave said, Ah, see, God has put your enemy in your hands. Rise and kill him and the people will follow you and you will be a great king. David refused to do it. He said, I will not raise my hand against the one that God has chosen to be king. David, although he was uh, being hunted with the desire to kill him, would not return That kind of evil against Saul. On another occasion, uh, when Saul was camped near where David was hiding again to seek out David and to kill him, God caused a, a deep sleep to fall upon Saul's army. And David walked right into the midst of the army. And he took a spear from one of Saul's bodyguards and he stuck it next to Saul's head as he slept. And then he walked a great distance and he shouted to Saul and said, Saul, you have come to kill me, but I will not kill you. See that God has saved you this day. On another occasion, there were uh, companions of David's, mighty men, great warriors, who said, David, we realize now that you will not do this. You will not do evil, and in your mind it would be wrong to kill Saul. Let me do it for you. You know, blood will not be on your hands. You can maintain your own personal integrity. And David said, you know, I I will not. You know, to give you that authority would be to do it myself. And he refused. This is how David and Saul came to grips with this kind of behavior, not returning evil for evil, as uh, is defined in the book of Samuel. David came out of the cave that day, and when Saul was a ways off, moving on, thinking that David must be somewhere else, David called to him, Saul, Saul. And Saul turned and looked to him, and David said, May the Lord judge between you and me this day, Saul. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me. But my hand will not turn against you will not touch you may the lord be our judge turned it over to god refused to do it himself and decide between us and may the lord consider my cause may the lord uphold you know my behavior and may he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand when david finished saying this think of the effect it had on saul you know realizing that he could have been killed but was not Saul asked, is that your voice, David? Some distance away. David, my son. And Saul wept aloud in front of all of his own army. And realized who is the greater man. He said, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. This was hard for a man like Saul to even fathom. That it would not be that way. For when a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? Certainly not. But David did, because David understood true power. May the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. This is the kind of uh, power that comes from not returning evil for evil, even though the temptation is great. And that's true for you as well. I know that you are sometimes the subject of uh, injustice. Sometimes the subject of gossip. If you can remember this principle, and if you can find motivation in the example of others and in the love of Christ towards you, you will have true power. Principle number two. Manage your expectations. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. Manage your expectations. Know that you are only one half of any relationship. You know, you can't control their behavior, but you can control yours. By controlling 50% of a relationship, by the way, you have incredible power. More than you realize. Don't think that you're a victim here. God wants to take the idea of being a victim away from you and help you understand how you can be a victor. Not a victim, but a victor. There are limits to your ability to affect an outcome. But those limits are still powerful. This is not a recipe for a a quick fix. It's just reminding you that you should not be tempted uh, to fight as you have been fought against. And and, and if you behave this way, ultimately the true aggressor will be seen. And the one who is upright will be known. There's a proverb that uh, my staff knows. I have leaned on many times in my ministry when I've been the... You know the the brunt of some accusation or some gossip, and I really can't defend myself. Sometimes it's a staff issue, and, and you know you just, or or it's somebody else who's condemning you. you. You you just don't lower yourself to that kind of gossip, to that kind of uh, of abuse. And, and I remember this proverb from the scriptures, Proverbs twenty six verse two. It says, "As a sparrow in it's flitting, and as a swallow when it's flying, so is a curse that has no basis. It will never land." you know, just I've held on to that. And I just said, I don't need to defend myself here. Let my integrity speak for itself. Eventually, people will see it for what it is. And this is how God deals towards us, by the way. How God deals towards the world. You know, if, if he gave uh, the abuse that he receives, we would all be toast. But this isn't the way of God. You know, he controls himself even though he can't control us. And in that, there's great power. Here's how Jesus described it in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard it was said, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. That's the way the whole world works. you know. Love those who love you and oppose those who oppose you. That's the way of the world. That's not the way of God. That's not the way of true power. He says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love those who are abusing you and pray for those who are persecuting you. That you may be children of your father. In other words, that you may behave the way your father behaves towards you. Although you are enemies of his by virtue of sin, opposed in your life and in your human nature to the things that he would have you do. He doesn't treat you that way. No, he causes his son. You know, the, the wonderful things of creation. He doesn't withhold them Even from those who are not his. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous people's fields. And he sends rain on those who are not righteous as well. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even non-believers, I hate the word pagans, but that's what it means. Uh, Not even non-believers do such things. Not even people who are in the dark behave that way. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You know, aspire to be like God is towards you. There is power in being godly. So first of all, don't repay evil for evil. Realize that you can't control their behavior, but by controlling yours, you have a tremendous influence upon them. Principle number three. And this, this is so huge, you know, just so important. Turning a situation over to God is not the same as doing nothing. Turning a situation over to God is not the same as doing nothing. See, this is the, this is the Christian factor. You know, this, this is, is what we who believe in Jesus and, and who have access to God's throne of grace because of his intercession, this is to our advantage. We can turn this over to the Lord. And it's not the same As doing nothing. It's a question of trust. Do you trust in God's power to vindicate? David said, I'm gonna let God figure this out. I'm gonna turn this over to God. And I know that eventually He will work through time and through people to accomplish that which is just. And you know what? God did that for David. And David eventually received the promise that God made to him. He was he was king over all the people, and all the people could love him. Uh, Not only because God had made him king, not only because he went through the process of being crowned and anointed, but because they realized what kind of a man he was, that their love flowed to him. Uh, So through this means, he also acquired their trust. God's promises are powerful. And God's word is powerful. You know, when you turn something over to God, the promises of God apply to you. And they are not small. Uh, in my Bible, in Hebrews uh, chapter four, verse twelve, I, I have this this verse marked so strongly that I can hardly read the text around it. You know, because it's just that important. The word of God is this for you. The promises that God makes to you is this. It's alive. It's active. It's not just advice. It's not just true. God. Empowers his word to change things as he did for David. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It can penetrate even the hardest heart, you know, it can turn away uh, even the the most uh, sh- uh, resolved enemy, uh, even dividing their spirit, their joint, and their marrow. You know, when you stand on the promise of God, when you stand and act on the truth of God, it judges the heart, the heart, and the attitudes of the heart, the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You know. Doing what God would have you do and living the truth that God would have you live is not just wise, it's not just true, it also engages God's power on your behalf. And when I used to teach confirmation back in the day, you know, we we have uh, people who are specialized and and better at that than I am now. But when I used to do that, and and we always got to the question of God's word, I, I, I would say, by what power did God create the world? God spoke in it and it was so by the power of his word. By what power does simple water become more than water? By what power does water that we normally drink when we put it in a basin and we pull it on a child's head. And when we speak God's promise. Be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Have your sins washed away and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By what power does simple water become baptism? By the power of God's word. By what power today, as we receive the Lord's Supper, by what power does simple bread and simple wine that we could eat at our table any day, by what power does that become something special for the forgiveness of your sins? And wherever there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. By what power does that happen? By the power of God, who said, "Take and eat; this is my body, given and shed for the remission, for the remission of your sins." By that power. By what power does a non-believer like me come to faith? By reason, by argument? No. By the power of God who accompanies his word. There is power in God's word. And if your enemy is not a person, if your enemy is an, an addictive behavior, if your enemy is uh, your inability to control your emotions, if your enemy is uh, is alcohol or or food or some substance abuse and not a person, God's word has power for that as well. You know. Study those scriptures, write them down, consume them, spend time with them. Pray to the Lord who has this power to relieve you of an enemy, an opponent that is too great for you to fight apart from God's power. And just see how God can change that situation. Principle number four uh, from verse 20. Uh, Instead of taking your own revenge, leave room for the vengeance of God and then verse 20. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will affect a change. See, he's not just saying act on truth. Uh, he's not saying just believe the truth. He's saying act on truth. Just believing. The devil believes in God and trembles. But when you believe and act on these things... You actually cash the check. You take it out of your wallet and you lay it down and a return comes, you know, for your action. Uh, Nelson Mandela, who recently died, uh, was put in prison uh, really to take him out of uh, a position of power. In fact, it increased his power uh, by his behavior. He was placed there hopefully to die uh, under hard labor. Uh, He was sustained in the midst of that. And when he was released, there was great fear that he would rally uh, all the injustice and, and all the atrocities that were heaped upon the black minority that became the black majority in South Africa against their captors. But instead, he realized the power to do good and not evil. And he said, If there are dreams about the beauty of South Africa, there are also roads that lead to that goal, the dreams that we want for the world. He said, Two of those roads would be named goodness and forgiveness. You know that there was action that was required. This is so the nature of God who said in James chapter 1. He said, I want you to not only believe, but I want you to also act on your belief. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, whoever looks to God's word and realizes there's freedom there and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually by doing what you have heard, these are the ones who will be blessed in what they do there is right in might the power is not in simply believing the power is in acting on that which you believe in summation you cannot go through this world and abide by the principles of god and not find yourself you know in contrast to the principles and the values of the world not find yourself at odds with people who practice a different way of life, who do business differently, who conduct relationships differently. If you stand for something, you can expect, especially as you stand as a Christian for something, you can expect others to notice, and you can expect others to oppose you. Even uh, Winston Churchill once said, you have enemies? Well, good. That means you have stood for something at some time in your life. You know, you cannot uh, abide in a principle of God and not have those who are not gods not oppose you. But therein lies your greatest opportunity to be a Christian. Therein lies your greatest opportunity to be a witness by contrast. You know, lights are meant to be hung in dark places. We are meant to be an influence for good. And when our behavior is contrasted to that of the behavior of the world, then we stand out. And when we stand out, People wonder why we're different and they will have opportunity to understand our motive is because we are God's child and we are followers of Christ and in him we have our hope and in him we put our trust. Well, this uh, concludes our series as we've talked about winning uh, proper attitudes. We talked about the power of attraction. What an incredible uh, sermon that was uh, based on the, the fruit of the spirit is found in Galatians chapter 5. You know that if you have peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness and self-control everybody recognizes the power of those qualities and those are qualities that God wants to pour into your heart as you mature in faith and they will make you attractive to everybody believers and non-believers alike what a powerful message that was and and then as Mike brought a message about uh psalm chapter 90 that we should Learn to number our days and to live our hearts with wisdom. That we should realize that we're immortal and finite people. And, and that therefore every day is important. And, and we live that way. We live intentionally. What a powerful way that is to live. And uh, God will give you days in your life and life in your days. What an important and powerful message. And as we talked then also about uh, this idea of, uh, of happiness based on the Beatitudes of Jesus. Realizing that when we uh, behave in the way that God would have us behave, that's contrary to the nature of the world. But that really truly is a way in which we will have the greatest peace, and the greatest contentment, and the greatest happiness in life as Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount. Or when we talked last week about uh, God's desire for us to, to be wealthy, uh, truly uh, to give us the means by which we can live without concern for this world's goods. And we looked at Proverbs chapter 11, and we looked also at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, the principles of God, you know, to be generous And to do good, you know, it it seems contrary to that which the world would teach you. You know, how to hoard and how to save and how to acquire. And God says, be good and be generous and see if I will not pour out for you treasure so great that you will have need for no more. You know, this is God's principle. When he finds a useful tool just like you do in your kitchen or in your garage, that's a tool that you want beside you all the time. That's the way God works for us. As today, as we've discovered uh, in our reading of Paul's advice in Romans chapter 12, true power not comes from intimidation, not comes from vanquishing your enemy. True power comes from a a principle uh, of greatness that is greater than that, that believes that God will engage and, and God will protect. And my desire here is not to intimidate, not to crush but rather to rescue my enemies and to bring them to the knowledge of the truth. And this is how we do it, by abiding by the principles of God. You know, these are, these are all ways in which you can win in life. As you walked into uh, church today, or if you're watching online, uh, you can also uh, go to our website and you can see um, these labels uh, are printed there virtually. Here we have handed them out to our congregation in a literal way. If you came in today, did you receive this, this small packet? And there are some uh, labels in there. And we want you to take these labels. It says you are a winner. And uh, our own communications team developed these. Congratulations to our communications team. They do so many things for us. Incredible, creative people. Uh, You can peel these labels and and you can stick these uh, on a colleague's calendar. uh, You know, on a a paper that you read from them that espouses one of these principles of God. Uh, You can... uh, Place these, you know, on uh, on the shoulder of uh, a friend or a colleague who's practiced a principle of God, and and you don't even have to uh, speak about why you're doing it because it says uh, go to the site yourwinning.net, and they will find out what that means that 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 you've stood for something that's greater than what is normal in our world, and in this way you can. Remind yourself of these principles for at least the next few weeks. If you want more, if you're in the practice of doing this kind of thing, uh, you can pick up more as you come in on any given weekend. They're out there on the tables in the lobby as well. Uh, if if your waiter or your or your waitress has given you good service, you can place these on your bill, not in lieu of a tip, but in addition to. And and they'll be curious enough to go and see what it says. And it, it's it's not self-serving. It doesn't draw attention to our church. It draws attention to our faith. And, and perhaps that practice will move them from just practice and, and just attitude to faith. And in this way you can remind yourself, as James says, don't just be a, a one who believes in these things, but be one who does these things as well. So we, we want to empower you uh, to make this series more than just something that that you forget and move on. Because these principles are life changing and God wants this in your life. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we ask favor in our life. This isn't just about additional knowledge, additional understanding of of Bible. It's about heart change. And Lord, uh, I am powerless to change my heart except by your Holy Spirit. I know that's your desire. And so I invite you into my heart, Lord to understand these principles and to apply them in my life that my life might change that I might be what you would have me be salt and light in this world Uh, to my benefit and to the benefit of those who observe my witness I ask it in Christ amen